Right, as we take this section of it up today, we know that Peter is arrested, and this is just on the heels of James being arrested and killed with the sword. The plan by Herod is absolutely clear. Peter is to be killed in the same way. But because of the providence of God, of the timing of it, it was delayed just a day. And so Peter was left in prison. I think it's also fun in part to note this, that he was, when Peter was delivered, delivered over to prison and he was kept there, um, intending to bring him out after the Passover, um, it tells us in verse 6 that when Herod was about to bring him out, that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and delivered him. In my mind, I ask this. If God's going to deliver him, why leave him there until the last moment? <laughs> right? Because he could have delivered him the very first night that he was in prison, but he let him sit there in the prison with the, the reality of those things obviously stirring in his mind what had happened to James. What is going to happen to me? Likely also his own passion for the church stirring up in his own heart. What's going to happen to the rest of the church? Are they going to now take one by one? Each of us. I think it's just interesting because often I think we say that. Some of you may have gone through. And some of you may now be going through. A season of difficulty. A season of trial. And you know. Even as Peter did, on the day that the problem arose, God had the power and ability, the full wherewithal, to deliver him. But he didn't deliver him. He left him in it. Now, for him, it was, it was relatively brief by those circumstances. But we look back at the life of Job, and we know it's years of agony. We look through the scriptures at others, and then we consider ourselves, and we think, God, what I'm going through, it's so difficult. I know that you can deliver me, but you haven't. Why haven't you? Paul himself will suffer, the scriptures will tell us, from a thorn in the flesh. And he will plead with the Lord three times. This means coming back with repeated earnings. That's not just three times in a row in the moment. It speaks of his persistence in pleading with God to take this from him. And what was God's answer? You know this, right? My grace is sufficient for you. And so... In his struggle, he was convinced whatever his thorn in the flesh was, he needed it removed. His life would be better with it removed. His ministry would be improved with it removed. Everything in him says it needs to be removed. God, you can do it. To which God said to him, indeed I can. But I'm not. And don't think for a moment if I remove that. That your ministry would improve. Because I am the one. You are the one who plants and waters. But I'm the one who provides the increase. 
And this is where, and he learns as he, as he writes to us in the book of Philippians, God had purposes in all his things. In his imprisonment, he would be privileged to preach the gospel to the praetorian guard, otherwise unreachables. God worked those circumstances. God would work even through this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, so that people would not be drawn to the faith for the necessary and seeming temporal blessings and joys of this world. But they'd realize, wow, even if it were to cost me everything. Here is Paul who seems to have nothing. Who seems to the, the opinions of men to have been abandoned by God to his malady. And yet... He continues to declare his excellencies. He continues to praise his name. He continues in his clear weakness to say what? Christ is strong. I will boast in my infirmities. I will boast in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I am strong. And you think, wow. What an, what an amazing circumstance uh, uh, that's unfolding here. The, the mysterious providence of God. And so Peter is in prison. God leaves him instead of immediately delivering. Until the very night that he's going to be brought out. But I love this and I want to draw our attention to this. Um, Remember, this isn't the first time that they're arrested. In Acts chapter 5, it said they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go stand in this people, uh, temple and speak to the people all the words of life. So this has already happened on one occasion. In Acts chapter 5, arrested, delivered that night and told to what? Go do the very thing that got you in trouble. Nice. Now, James was arrested. It may be that the, their confidence was, all's going to be good. And then he was martyred. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, they're, they're thrown into turmoil. What's wrong? Oh, no. Has God lost control? Is the devil now the king? And the answer is, never. <laughs> Never, never. God moves in mysterious ways. And we see it unfolding here. And remember, he wasn't a, a, a few days later during James's imprisonment. He was a bit weary from other activities. But he got his second wind when Peter was arrested. Is that what it is? Again, you say, no, that's how we work. God is not like that. He doesn't have those weaknesses. He doesn't have that human weariness and limitations. And so they had this. But then now James is arrested. And God allowed him to be killed. As he's arrested, I love what it says here in verse 5. But So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayers for him was made to God by the church. The way the King James says it, it says, prayer was made without ceasing. And really that, that covers the, the full sense of the Greek word when you put both the King James and the ESV together. There, it, it speaks of the earnestness of the, of the emotion and commitment to it, as well as the persistence in prayer. 
They were going they they were going to plead with God until the very last moment where they got the word that Peter had been killed as well. And so they gathered together and here they were praying for them. More than that, I I, I want us to see this. It tells us this in in chapter 12 verse 12 after Peter is delivered it says when he realized this that he was out of the prison he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying he understood that's where he could go And that's where he might meet up with the saints. Because the scriptures remind us of this blessed reality. The early church was Acts chapter 2 verse 44. They devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine. The apostles teaching. Fellowship. The breaking of bread. And prayers. God's people devote themselves to prayers. This is one of the reasons why we end our, ser- our morning services taking prayer requests from all of us. And then someone prays. And the, con- the confidence is that many take those prayer requests and pray for them throughout the week. We gather again on Tuesday evenings to study the word and then spend some time in prayer together. God's people are to be a people of perpetual praise And to be a people of perpetual and persistent prayer. These are absolute unshakable categories for us. But what I want us to see in here is. In this passage as as it begins to unfold. We looked last week and we say. But why did God allow James to be killed? And why is he going to deliver Peter? Why did he allow Stephen to be killed, but then he delivered the apostles in prison in Acts chapter 5? Why does God do what he does? That's what we kind of looked at last week, isn't it? And the answer is, because he's God. And his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. And he does as he pleases with the hosts of heaven, the inhabitants of the earth, and all the deeps. And the fact is this, who has known the mind of God or been his counselor? His ways are unsearchable. His judgments inscrutable. So you keep asking why, and you're not going to get an answer. The, The simple reality is, we could not fathom the answer. Because it's in his perfect wisdom. And so we have to sit back and trust in that. Further, our minds get a little bit convoluted. And last week, at, uh, uh, or week before last, uh, Doug spoke of it. The scriptures are very clear how God has declared the beginning from the end. All things that are our very days are numbered. The very hairs on our head are numbered. The, the, the details of the rise and fall of kingdoms and kings and leaders. The scriptures unpacked all, all of those details as God having set according to the counsel of his will. Even things that we often consider insignificant and irrelevant. Such as a sparrow falling from the sky. Which doesn't 
practically affect any of our lives if one single little birdie falls and dies. But even that seeming insignificant detail is absolutely under the sovereign sway of God. And so people tend to say this. Okay, hold on. Then why should I pray? If God has already determined in his infinite wisdom all that will ever be in his omniscience and in his eternal decrees, as we know them, then what in the world is the point of my prayer? Well, first of all, we know this. We would never want our prayers to change God's mind. Because who's all wise? Whose way is best? So if he was to change to my request, this is bad. Because it's, it's an inferior desire based on an inferior wisdom. And so, thank you. <laughs> and so, that is, uh, we, we wouldn't want that. But some people say, then, then there's no reason to pray at all. Yes, there is reason to pray. Now, some simply say, and it, it should be enough, the scriptures command us to pray without ceasing. So, if God says pray, you pray. But why? Because he said. But what will it affect? Your obedience to what he said. Why? You don't worry about all, obey. You do what you can do. Because God is going to do what he's going to do. But the scriptures indicate it's not simply just an act of obedience that we pray. Again, what prayer requests we're going to pray at the end of this service today. Whatever they may be, I may not know some requests that you will make. But does God already know what your prayer request is going to be? Did God figure it out this morning? Did he overhear your conversations with somebody? No. When did God know? And it's always a trick. Uh, when God has always known. As the God himself is eternal and infinite. So is his wisdom eternal and infinite. Therefore understand this. When God set forth in his infinite wisdom and knowledge. The plan for the ages. Did he know even then. Our hearts cries and pleadings and prayers. Yes. Prayers are not just Going through the motions and playing a game. In the eternal design of God, prayers are purposeful, powerful, and effective. Listen as I read a couple verses. I do not want you to miss this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says this as he's imprisoned For I know. That through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he sees what? I know the result is going to be my deliverance. But how are we going to get from where we are now to the deliverance on the other side? How are we getting there? Through your prayers. And the work of the Spirit. 
Now, wait a second. Are you saying that God could not have delivered without their prayers? I would never say that. You know, this, like this, this is the way I, I often teach it uh, uh, to the uh, students in India. Listen, can God cause a great harvest? Can God cause a garden, maybe such as the Garden of Eden, to grow up and flourish without the activity of man? Yes, he could. But generally, when God brings a harvest, is there rain involved? Is there seed involved? Well, does God need a seed to bring about a harvest? But does he most ordinarily use the seed? Does he most ordinarily use the water? Does he most ordinarily use the worker who sows the seed and pours the water? Yes. And so we understand, okay, God is not bound by anything. Praise God, right? He can and sometimes does straightway bypassed any instruments and just by the power of his hand and word does it. Amen? Whew. But oftentimes, he is pleased to accomplish things by the use of his instruments. By the use of different parts and pieces along the way. And so as God is ultimately the Lord of the harvest, he is just as much the Lord of the harvest when there has been planting Weeding, watering, and rain, as when he just brings it out of nothing. He's still very much the Lord of the harvest. And he's absolutely the, the Lord of, of deliverance. The prayers did not deliver. God delivers. Uh, I always want to make sure we get that clear because much as we speak about God uh, uh, moving and doing great and powerful things through prayers, some people can start to turn prayers into a magic thing. Where, where your trust and your confidence is in your prayers. Your prayers are to who? God. Because your desire is that God himself will move. So Paul expects deliverance but is confident that the way, the parts and pieces that God has put to bring his deliverance about is that he is going to incline his ear to the prayers of his people and then act in deliverance for his great name. Still in Philippians chapter 1 verse 22, it says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Reminding them, don't just sit back and say, well, well, God is sovereign. If he wants to deliver, he will. Ain't no reason for us to get involved. Really? And also, I want to say this. Sometimes we misunderstand the most significant involvement that we can do in terms of getting involved with, with the, the things that have gone awry 
in this world, the wickedness of the world, the most significant, the most powerful thing that we can do is pray. I don't want us to miss that. There's a lot of other activities that people engage themselves in. And, some, and, and that's fine. But, but we put our confidence in God. And what prayer does is it continues to remind us of our dependence. And who it is that ultimately gets things done. That's why it's one of my pet peeves when somebody says, and it's become common in Christendom, in Christianity, for people to say, well, brother, sister, I, I can't help you, so I'll just pray. What? Maybe, maybe I can't help you with the fact that your business is failing. Maybe I can't help you with you're about to, to have your house foreclosed on. But I tell you what I can do, and I will do. I will pray. Not just pray. I will pray. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not like when all else fails and we can't do it. No, no. Before anything fails, we pray. Then we know if it fails, such was the will of God. And we rest in him. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11. He urges the church at Corinth. He says this. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks to God on your behalf. Many will help. Uh, so these kinds of things, some people, uh, you know, our, our thoughts sometimes even will go this way. Well, what can I do in the church? How, how can I help this or how can I help that and help in this ways? Let me tell you how every single one of you can be in a genuine and tangible help. Pray. I mean, ultimately, I'm the one who's going to have to sit down and study a passage and prepare it and preach it to you. But I urge you, help me by your prayers. Sometimes it, it can be in the, in the ebb and flow of life, the strength and weakness that, that comes to us. People will say, I don't know what's wrong with the preacher. He's kind of, I don't know if he's, he's feeling a bit dry, but I'm just not getting much out of it anymore. And all that kind of, well, instead of just saying that, here's a thought. Help him by your prayers. Because he indeed, like every single one of us, is just a mere man. Who has struggles, who has weakness, who has sickness, who has sleepless nights, who has anxieties, who has distractions. He is weak. Paul says, who is weak if not me? <laughs> we are. Help us by your prayers. I, I find it interesting. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, the scripture says this. And I always remind it, want to remind us of this. Ephesians 6, 18 says this. Praying at all times in the spirit. You know, there's some people who get out there and, and they act like, well, 30% of the time when I pray, I pray in the spirit. Because it comes out in different ways, in different speech, in different... No, no, no. Every time we pray, we are supposed to pray in the Spirit. 
every time, in whatever language we're using, pray in the Spirit at all times. And I love what it says still as you unpack that. With all prayer and supplication. Now, often the idea of supplication, the, the Scriptures often remind us to make supplication for the saints and intercession for the saints. Real prayer is not constantly, gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I need, I need. It's not. Now, and what's shocking is I was speaking with someone this week who, who was saying someone, uh, that as they interact with someone and as they're praying, they're just struck by the fact that this particular individual keeps saying with regard to a want, God, we need this. God, you need to act. We need. And he said, I keep telling her, uh, we don't need it. <laughs> we, we want it. But, and again, prayer, when we talk about earnest prayer, as these people are gathered there, the scripture tells us, and I love what it says in verse 5, um, earnest prayer was made for him. Brothers and sisters, how much time do we spend praying the praise and adoration of God? Praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying for the needs of those around us. Praying for lost loved ones. Praying for others. Uh, I, I often say this and, and remind us of this. Wouldn't it be blessed within the practical limitations of prayer time that we may have as official prayer times, in addition to praying in between a bunch of other things, Oh, sweet hour of prayer. We've carved out an hour of prayer. Oh, no. My hour is done and I have to get to work. But I didn't ever get to my needs. I didn't ever get to my wants. I didn't ever get to my requests. Oh, no. Well, listen. It didn't get to me. You know, that, that, that generally doesn't happen, though it'd be wonderful, right? Where do we usually start? Yeah, and the middle is filled up with me, and then the end kind of rounds back around to me. And do all this for me, and I'll give a little praise to you, a little shout out for you as well, right? No, 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 that ought not be. I, I love this. They are gathered together, and they are praying for him. Now, in that circumstance, it would not have been unreasonable for, unreasonable for them to think, oh no, maybe we're getting another swell up of the persecution that happened in those early days under Saul. Oh no, Who, who's next among us? Let's pray. I pray that I'm not next. What? You know, I, I, I pray that the, the, the persecution won't arise again like it was. Oh no, no. But it wouldn't, we would not consider it unreasonable for those fears to arise in their hearts, right? But I like the reality of this. Uh, th those fears, those doubts, those aren't reality. We don't know if God is going to, to, to um, squelch. It may be, it may be that within days, Herod, who's stirring up this animosity and this a hatred and murder against the church. It may be that God just 
plucks him out of the world and throws him down to the worms. Could it be? Well, those of you who read the rest of the chapter realize, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But wait a second. They're praying for Peter's deliverance. Nowhere does it say that they're praying for Herod's death. Yes. But God is taking care of all that he has purposed. But again, we want to be a people committed, involved in earnest prayer. In Jude 1.20 also it reminds us, beloved, but you beloved, building yourself up in the most holy spirit, praying uh, in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's all that we do. And that's with a sense of dependence. Romans remind us that we have not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we cry out, Abba, Father. And, and when we come to the end of knowing what are the right words to say and what to express, the spirit himself will intercede with groanings that cannot be uttered. So we don't have to worry about it. Even before we have a need. Uh, Jesus says you get anxious and nervous about what you will eat. What you will wear and all these things. Your father knows that you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And thus I ask you a second question. One, do your prayers seem to be most full of the me's instead of the need of others and the greatness of our God? And then uh, secondly, uh, are your prayers, even regarding the me's and others, most consistently the passing things of this world? The things we eat. The bodies we dwell in, these temporary tents, are our most earnest prayers for others always these temporary passing things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are your prayers for saints most primarily for their righteousness? And their service to the kingdom of God. Because remember, God, Jesus had already told to Peter by what kind of death he would glorify him. Paul will say later, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, it's for the Lord. If I die, it's for the Lord. It's all about the Lord. Oh, that our prayers would be all about the Lord. The Lord's glory. The Lord's will. The Lord's people. The Lord's purposes. That we could have that that, that scripture reminds us of those beautiful words of the very son of God as he pleaded in the garden that this cup would pass from him. His words were what? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I tell you what, you know, there are some crazy lunatic preachers out there who actually will say, never ever utter such faithless words. What? You're telling me to follow the example of Christ would be bad? Well, that's what they say. Well, because if you say, not my will, but yours be done, then you're handing, you're handing it all over to him. Yeah, try taking it away from him. You can't do that. He's God. You, what you are doing is you are yielding 
to his purposes, knowing that his ways are better than yours. Even as we um, unpack all of these things, we understand that our prayers are not to be selfish. They are not to be self-serving. Further, I want to note this briefly, as time for some reason is going quickly today. It says this, listen, uh, in this passage, chapter 12, they were praying for who? Peter, earnestly for Peter. When God delivered him and he came and knocked on the door, what was their response? Hallelujah, prayers are answered. No, it was, there ain't no way. There is no way. Peter's, Peter's in prison. There, there's four squads of soldiers. Rhoda, you are out of your mind. I mean, do you really think that God has delivered him from four squads of soldiers and answered our prayers. What's wrong with these people? I mean, I, I want you to note this. Someone says, oh, don't do that because your faithlessness, and because you're faithless, your prayer won't be answered. How much faith did these people have? <laughs> and yet, God is not bound by our weakness. He's not bound by our faithlessness. Now that said, when we hear this story, it should increase our faith. Right? It should bolster us and it should build us up and give, a, give us a greater sense. But don't, uh, don't, I, I don't like the idea that people say, oh no, God really wanted to do that, but you just didn't have enough faith. He was ready to do it for you, and, but have enough faith. What? God does his will. It doesn't matter if our faithlessness is there. It doesn't matter if the devil and all of his demons line up together against God. God is doing what God is doing. Amen? And so we, we must not miss that. Oh, let, let, let's move on to the second point. So prayers were made for him. And we see that prayer is effective. And God has been pleased to, to make prayers part of his eternal plan. And so if we truly desire something, we ought to earnestly pray for it. Just like when we want there to be a harvest, we plant those seeds, we pull those weeds, we pour that water. We do those things and then pray that God would help. We do what we can. But I want you to notice a, a, a couple things. Not only do we see um, the sort of the wonder of their faithlessness, Note, noting also there were four squads or what was called quaternions of soldiers. Now, just to get this, uh, there was a tradition and a common pattern among the Romans. And I want you to note this. Generally, they would say that there would be four assigned for three hours. And then the next four would come on and the next four would come. On. Now, they're all staying right there in the prison compound. So they're ready to, to, but four are awake at any given moment. And all they got to do is stay awake for three hours. And then the next guys come in and the next guys come in. The reason why they would schedule the watches like that is because it wasn't that hard to simply stay awake for three hours knowing you get to go back to sleep. 
Now, this deliverance is different than some of the other deliverances. And sometimes I think we, we fill in things that aren't actually there. Listen, Peter was sleeping. It does not say anything about the soldiers were also sleeping. Now, the soldiers don't need to sleep. They only have to be awake three hours. Now, you might ask yourself, if the soldiers are awake, then how is it that they did not stop Peter from walking out? That's a good question. Uh, they took Jesus, the crowd, the throng, pushed him to the edge of the hill, and then the scripture says, and he passed through them and went on his way. What? How did he do that? Yes. And, and so I think it's important. You know, it's not, it's not, it, it, we got to make sure we understand this. It's not that he caused a deep sleep to fall over all of the soldiers. And so, you know, shh, not too loud. Oh, the chains fell and they still didn't wake up. Woo. No, no, no. That's not what it was. The soldiers, for all intents and purposes, the scriptures say nothing about them sleeping. The way that the squads were structured, it is very doubtful that any of these were sleeping during that three-hour slot. But I do love this. Peter was sleeping. I mean, he has every right, you would think, to be in fear for his life. But he's snoozing. I remember there was a time where the disciples were fearing for their lives as the storm was tossing the boat. And where was Jesus? He was in the back, sleeping nice and peaceful because he knew his father was in control. And then he got up and he stepped forward and he rebuked it and he, and he scolds them for their weakness of their faith, right? Oh, ye of little faith. Well, how encouraging it is to some extent to see Peter now in the peril of likely death. And he's sleeping. You know, don't want to read too much into it. But I'm encouraged to see that. You know, and then the, it said, the scripture says, um, light shone. Here in, in the darkness of, of the cell that's there at night, it, light shone forth. It says in verse uh, 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood, ne stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now some would say this, Hold on. If this light shone in the cell and his chains fell off, would not those soldiers also have seen the light and recognized the chain falling? I will tell you this. It's not uncommon for the gospel to be preached. And by the grace of God, some see the light and others remain in darkness. They could be sitting Side by side with one another. And one's chains fall off. The light shines upon him. And by grace he what? Gets up and follows Christ. The others remain bound in the chains. Remain in the darkness. And what made the difference between one and the other? 
the delivering power of God. What, what's interesting here, all does say in verse 6, they put Peter, and Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So Peter was then sleeping between two soldiers, um, uh, bound with two chains. Now you're going to get preachers who will come in and say, two chains. One of those chains was fear of men. One of those things was doubting God. No. They were chains. Sometimes chains means chains. Sometimes fire means fire. Sometimes water means water. Don't get carried away. But the, what you got to understand is there's two chains because that is absolute security. He's shackled with, on one connection to one, of the, one soldier. He's shackled on the other to another soldier. The whole point is if somehow he can finagle his way out of one, the poor guy is still stuck with the other. He is absolutely bound. It puts him in a hopeless state of self-delivery. He's done. But then what happens is this angel appears, this light shine, and there's no mention of a key. How did the angel get the shackles off without a key? And again, I ask that question because we go back to, yeah, we ordinarily need keys, but does God always need keys? Yeah, God can sometimes do things the ordinary way, and he's oft pleased to do things the extraordinary way. Amen? And he, and he did this. And it's likely based on a simple reading of it. These chains fell off. He gets up and he's told to get dressed. So he, he's kind of disrobed a bit for snoozing. And he's putting his clothes on. The chains are on the ground. The soldiers are, are likely still standing there on guard. Maybe talking amongst themselves. He's getting his clothes on. Thinking what is happening here. And then... All right, let's go. Begins to follow the angel and the, the gate of the cell opens in front of him. Oh my goodness. And it keeps walking. And then the gate at the front opens of its own accord. And you would have, so at, at each of those gates would have been a sentry as well as two with him. And the doors are opening by themselves. And the, these guys aren't even noticing that the doors are open. They're just standing there. And I'm I'm walking past and they're acting like I'm invisible. Which is why Peter thought, this ain't real. There is no way, no way this is real. I mean, come on. They would see me getting dressed. They would see these doors opening and me walking out. There is no way in the world this is real. And then he finds himself out in the street and the script and the angel disappears and he looks around and it's like whoa <laughs> this is real i was delivered and so probably what he wants to do is run to the house of the other christians and explain to them how he skillfully escaped right no he's not gonna go there and tell them wait till you hear what i did I was so stealthy as I dressed that they didn't even see. Is that it? Not at all. He's going to go there and he's going to say what? Let me tell you how the Lord delivered me. 
I was absolutely bound. I was absolutely hopeless. It, there was nothing I could do with the way the guards were set up. There was no way anyone could come in and help me to escape. It was a done deal. I was as good as dead. And then God delivered me. He set me free. He led me out. He is my Savior. My Deliverer. And I tell you this uh, only that we would understand this. He, in Acts 12, 17, it explains to us what he did. He motioned to them with his hands after he got them to be silent when they finally let him in. And said, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Isn't that great? There is a real sense in which I wish we lived in a world that when somebody would share their testimony, I would hear more about the Lord than about them. Because God saved us by His greatness. He revealed to us His grace and His power. The atoning work of His Son. The resurrection life of His Son. The righteousness that is ours in His Son. And someone's told to give their testimony and all they do is talk about themselves. How can it be? They talk about their sin. I was like this and I was like that. And sometimes they seem to boast and glory in their sin. Are you looking back like you miss it? What's the problem? That was useless. That was, that was a garbage. You know, the, the fact is this. Whether you were raised in, in a very strict moral home. Or, or whether you went into the depths of wickedness that this world has. You were saved by the power of God. Everyone, whether they knew it or not, they were either bound in, in the sin of their own self-deception and self-righteousness, or they were bound in the exercise of all the sinful endeavors and pleasures of this world. But we were all enslaved to sin. And he broke us free. Listen, a few verses, because we're well out of time. But I just wanted to say, uh, there are so many verses. I'm just going to uh, uh, read one, and then you can certainly look up others on your own. In Isaiah 61, speaking of even the coming of Christ, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so listen. As we see this in Acts chapter 12. What we see is that God. Hears the prayers of his people. And miraculously and powerfully delivers Peter. From prison and from the hands of men. And what I want to point. What I'm pointing out to you. Just by way of worshipful application. Is the scriptures often point to. The condition of man as a prisoner, as hopeless, as unable to deliver himself and unable to be delivered by others. And remind us that this is what the power of God does. It sets the prisoners free. No matter, my mind goes to a certain degree where uh, they had gone to Pilate and, and requested soldiers 
And he gives them the soldiers they request and says regarding the tomb, go and make it as secure as you can. Right? And they made it as secure as they could. Did he work? No. They did their best, but could they keep the grave sealed? Could they keep Jesus in the grave? No. And I, and I will say this. The world can try. Indeed, the devil can try all he can to keep us fast bound in sin. But indeed, whomever the sun sets free, he is free indeed. Right? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When God is so pleased to shine his light on us, there is such a remarkable parallel to this. And we're going to, at the end of this service, sing that song written by Charles Wesley. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Right? And so as we come even now to prepare for the Lord's Supper, we do so knowing our union with Christ, our deliverance from this world unto Christ, our abiding faith and our perseverance in Christ, are all by the power of God who has set us free and bound himself to us in an eternal covenant in his blood. Amen. Let's pray.